3: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a homework at somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Before we start, let's go to Steve Leisman, who has some breaking news. Hello, Steve, it's Jim. You've got me. You're live.
2: The Federal Reserve announcing yet another program, the primary dealer credit facility. This is one of the biggest programs the Federal Reserve has yet to do. Uh, It is uh, call it the kitchen sink of lending programs. It provides short term uh, overnight and term funding up to 90 days for a very broad range of assets. I can tell you the kinds of assets that now primary dealers can bring to the Fed to get funding. Investment-grade corporate debt securities, international agency securities, commercial paper, municipal securities, mortgage-backed securities, asset-backed securities, even equity securities, excluding ETFs. Um, This is sort of the Emma Lazarus of bring us your poor, your tired, your hungry, your weak. The Fed is saying, bring us your paper. We'll obviously give it a haircut, but we'll also lend it to you overnight. So now the Fed implementing almost all still a few left of the financial crisis era programs from the uh, Great Recession that it had in place today. It put in place the commercial paper facility. It already has really launched a quantitative easing program and bringing rates down to zero. Jim,
3: what is left in terms of the, the areas of pressure that you see?
2: I'm sorry. I don't hear Jim. Well,
3: all sorry. right. Well, look, I tell you, thank you so much, Steve. And now we know exactly how serious the Fed is. We know everybody else is getting pretty serious and that should help tomorrow's opening. I do believe it's real. OK, well, let, let's uh, get back to Mad Money now. We are at the beginning of the most treacherous phase of this covid bear market, the point where the strongest stocks rally like crazy and the weakest ones. Well, the weakest ones, they retreat right into the wilderness. We saw that all day with travel and leisure airlines. That's the big story today. Dow gaining 1,049 points, making up some of that loss from yesterday. S&P jumping 6%. NASDAQ falling 6.23%. In other words, this market is now going into triage mode, just like the hospitals in Europe and soon here. The winners are trading like winners, and the losers are trading like there is no hope at all for the shareholders, for you. This bifurcation is why I kept warning you that index funds are not the right way to invest here. The winners and losers are just so obvious to you and me. Come on. Well, we don't need to own them bad with a good. In many ways, that's what we want to see. It means the market is working. It's looking at the fundamentals of individual companies. So then why did I say it's treacherous? Because we're going to have so much bad news coming over the next couple of weeks about the illness, not necessarily about the assets, but the illness that it's too dangerous to come in here and start buying today's winners after today's spring loaded run. Although I think those stocks in particular have put in a bottom. Beyond that, there's some good news and some bad news. We're going to start with the bad news. Why? Because I'm kind of a Bad news first guy. First, we are a service economy. Two-thirds of our GDP is based on the vast service sector. And this virus is devastating the service industries. We can't congregate. But that's how these companies make money. Sold-out stadiums, crowded restaurants, flights to somewhere warm, trips to the mall, even trips to the gym or the hair salon, or the oldest of American traditions grabbing a beer. These are all out. In some places, they're illegal and with good reason. More than 100 million people work in the service sector. You heard me right. 100 million people. Not all of them lose their jobs. But we're looking at an unfathomable number of layoffs here. In theory, it could be worse than the Great Depression because the whole ecosystem of service is being eroded, if not destroyed. Thriving institutions are being mowed down right alongside struggling ones. The number of retailers on the verge of going under is staggering. Small ones, sole proprietors, giant chains that employ tens of thousands. Same goes for restaurants. Really good companies are getting wrecked. Casinos, hotels, every aspect of hospitality, you name it. I can't even look at some of the prices of some of these retailers. I mean, we got retailers that traded at eight 80. Now they're at eight. I mean, this happened overnight. Second, when it comes to fighting COVID-19, we were way behind the curve, but now we're ramping up and we're ramping up testing, too. That's good. But it means we're about to see some huge spikes in the number of infected people, the so-called denominator, because we finally have the capacity to diagnose them. Now, it could have been worse, far worse. But the fact is, we're still nowhere near the peak. And when we get there, it's going to knock down everything, including many of the stocks that surged higher today. The infections and the death toll will soar, possibly overwhelming our healthcare system and forcing doctors to make horrific decisions about who lives and who dies. Third, outside the service sector, two of the largest industries in America are being challenged at the exact same time. Just bad luck here. Oil and aerospace. The Russians and the Saudis are flooding the world with crude, undercutting our producers. The Permian's in trouble. Meanwhile, Boeing can't get approval for the redesigned 737 Max. Once its most lucrative product line and its customers, the airlines are on the ropes. We know Boeing is seeking tens of billions of dollars in aid. i got some thoughts on how to do that later in the show. Okay, it's not just a parade of horribles. It's a macabre dance of death and destruction. And I wanted to put it to you right up top. Now, let's talk about why the market was up today, because there are signs that there's an other side to this pandemic, as in we might come out on the other side once this is over, particularly fueled by a huge amount of stimulus. No one's cheering. But the federal government finally is recognizing the scale of what's ahead of him, hate him or like him. The president has put together an A-list team to tackle the illness. The redoubtable Dr. Tony Fauci dueling with the disease. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin trying to make sure that working people, not the fat cats, not the millionaires, but working people come out in one piece. These are both Herculean tasks. Again, though, there's some good news here. We're now getting millions of testing kits, many made by last night's guest, Thermo Fisher. That's a start. We have data that shows this virus can be carried by nearly anyone, but the death rate is heavily skewed toward the elderly with pre-existing conditions. The numbers are so stark, it's easy to see why Dr. Fauci is more worried about young people who think they're invincible getting infected and then giving it to their much more at-risk older relatives. If we ring the elderly so that they don't come in contact with anyone under 40, that could make a huge difference. Then, my favorite, because it is still mad money, the ingenuity factor. Tonight, we're hearing from Regeneron, which is having some success, maybe a lot of success, with an anti-inflammatory drug that suppresses some of the virus's most lethal symptoms. And they also have high hopes for a possible vaccine much sooner than I thought. Don't scoff. Regeneron conquered Ebola. They might have something and have something in record time. Meanwhile, Gilead's testing one of their antivirals. We don't know enough. Who knows? But it could be good. Others are using Plaquenil, malaria drug. I think there's a possibility of success there. It's a mistake to bet against American ingenuity over the long haul. How long? Anybody's guess. But I'm not taking the other side of that trade. Finally, let's deal with the economy. I'm beginning to be heartened by some of the moves from the private sector, not just the public. Later, we're speaking with Cheryl Sandberg. She's Facebook's chief operating officer. She only had a $100 billion program to help 30,000 small businesses across over 30 countries. Now, some problems, though, are so big they can only be solved by the federal government. Washington needs to step up with unemployment insurance and what Mnuchin has said would be a trillion dollars in the economy. I wish that, there were, that, that, that that were enough. This is a Malcolm X moment. When it comes to people who are in danger of being wiped out by something beyond their control, the government needs to to help by any means necessary. Maybe that's what Leisman was getting at. Maybe that's the trick. If the Fed just guarantees pretty much everything, we're back to 2007, 2008, but more terra firma. The president and the Treasury Secretary are talking about business interruption insurance. I'm counting on that insurance going to small, medium-sized businesses. And to the 1099 workers, the sole proprietors who are being torn asunder by COVID, by something they didn't have anything to do with. Government's got to put money into the hands of small business owners to meet payroll. If they do, we can tide them over until the economy comes back. As long as they keep them on the payroll, one point two trillion. I know it sounds like a lot. It's not enough. It's roughly the size of the bank problems of two thousand seven, but this is bigger and harder. And the money has to get there faster, whether it be through the IRS or the mail. I don't know TurboTax. My advice: think big. Perhaps Steve's announcement will help. I'm waiting on Treasury Secretary Mnuchin for even more details. Yes, the market rallied today, but the stocks that rallied are the wrong ones. They're the ones that have the strong enough balance sheet to survive regardless. They can come out on the other side of the hiatus because COVID is crushing their rivals. Walmart surged more than 11% today. Why? Massive stimulus in the form of direct payments, but also because their smaller competitors can be wiped out. Amazon soared 7%. E-commerce thrives when people are staying at home. Food and drug stocks that I've been recommending all along, they finally exploded higher. Recession-proof. At these levels, I think you actually need to wait for another pullback before you buy some of these like the General mills. I wante, General mills up five. That's not right. It's just not right. I think we've seen a bottom, though, in those stocks. They need to be bought on pullbacks. What's still safer? Utilities. They're impervious to weaker economy. Boy, buy a lower interest rate than you're ever going to see ever again. The bottom line, though, it feels like a tart moment. The market rocketed higher after Congress passed the bank bailout in October of 2008. Then it was followed by another horrendous decline in the stock market as the system kept falling apart. Just like back then, we're finally moving in the right direction. But I think we need to overcome more looming bad news about the virus and about bankruptcies before the whole indices can bottom even again as many stocks have already put in the bottom. Okay, let's take some calls. Let's go to Larry in Florida. Larry!
4: Jimmy, chill. Not
3: that chill. But that's okay. That's okay. What's up?
4: So following a relentless post-merger beatdown with uncertainty about execution of the company's streaming platforms, now with the cancellation of March Madness and other sports due to be broadcast, what are your thoughts on Viacom CBS
0: for this year and the next?
3: Okay, uh... I have a conference call tomorrow with club members, the ActionLearnersPlus.com club. And on it, I'm going to eat, not crow, but I think the many crows that were uh, in, the, in the movie, The Birds, where they got to the Suzanne Plachette. I mean, it, it was just one of my worst picks. I got to talk about why it was so bad, but it wasn't my, well, it's my fault because my Chapel trust owns it. But we're going to address that, Larry. And well, you know what? They can't all be good ones. All right, we're moving in the right direction, but I do think there's more bad news—virus, more bad news, bankruptcies—that we have to overcome before the whole industry's bottom. Although, again, some stocks have bottomed already. On Man Money Tonight, a potential breakthrough on a coronavirus drug. Today, after Regeneron said it aims to have a potential COVID-19 drug ready for clinical trials by early summer. This is news, people. There's news. news, talking to the chief science officer of the company. And I like what I'm going to hear, I think, then, regardless of how the COVID-19 pandemic plays out. It has already been brutal for small business. So let's go to Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg about how the company's $100 million grant program, Money in the Pockets of Small Business, right now can help. And as telemedicine emerges as a necessity in the fight against coronavirus, I'm talking with private player Amwell find out how its client base and more than 240 health systems including 2,000 hospitals are relying on the new technology. So stick with Kramer.
5: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets.
1: visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: As long as this pandemic's in the driver's seat and it's likely to stay there for weeks or even months, we need to keep an eye on the companies that are trying to be the darn thing. Take Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. It's a phenomenally successful biotech. It's our first guest on the show back when its stock was trading at less than five bucks. It's now almost five hundred. For now, what matters is that Regeneron's got a monoclonal antibody drug for arthritis called Kevzara that they developed with Santa Fe. Yesterday morning we learned that they're studying this thing as a treatment for patients with severe cases of COVID-19. This isn't a cure, but it treats the deadliest symptom, your body's overactive inflammatory immune response. That's the bad pneumonia. Then, just this morning, Regeneron announced something new, a promising antibody cocktail that can be administered as a prophylactic before you're exposed to the coronavirus as a treatment for those already infected. Management hopes to be producing hundreds of thousands of these by the end of the summer. It's, it's, it's it's huge if it works. Will it work? Let's check in with Dr. George Yankopoulos, Regeneron's co-founder, chief scientific officer, and the, by the way, the man whom I think conquered Ebola. Get a better sense of where, of where this company's going. Dr. Yankopoulos, welcome to Mad Money.
4: Hey, Jim. It's great to uh, finally be on, but like you said, it's really special for us, and we really got to thank you, because way back about 15 years ago, when our stock was about 5 bucks per share, you had my buddy Len Schleifer on here, um, and hopefully your listeners took advantage of your insight. Uh, it certainly made a difference to us. Back then, because back then we really depended on the capital markets for funding, and you gave us a boost.
3: Well, so you thanks it.
4: again. Thanks again. You made it happen. Well, I, you deserved it. You and
3: Len have been straight shooters. And, and, and Doc, I got to tell you something. I went to Len immediately when this became an issue, and he told me not to get my hopes up. This is going to be a little while. Don't get too excited. He feels now, Doc, that that is no longer the case, and he actually says, "Listen,
4: enthusiasm is warranted." Can you tell us why? Well. I think that we all still have to be cautious. It's just that there's a lot of things that are now going on, and not only at Regeneron, but throughout the industry. And I think this is a great time for our industry because I think a lot of us can be stepping forward and really showing that we have what it takes to really help make a difference. I mean, I think that we've been doing it as an industry, you know, behind the scenes for so many disease, but this is a chance out in the open for everybody to see it. But in particular for us, um, and what we're doing here, we are pretty excited that there's a real chance we can make a difference. I mean, you already referred, you made a lot of the big points already. But just just to make it easy for your listeners, there's really four things that we could be doing to try to hopefully survive or make a dent with this uh, pandemic. One is, of course, what they call containment. Try to do all these things that we're doing, try to social distance, try to limit contact so the disease doesn't spread so that the hospitals don't become full all at once. All right. Just to slow it down so the healthcare system can deal with it and also to wait to see whether we can have some new treatments that can make a, make a difference. And in terms of treatments, there's really three approaches. The first approach, try old medicines that have worked for other reasons and other things, just try everything under the kitchen sink. That's that's the first approach because those things are approved there here and now. And we have one very exciting development in that that you've already mentioned that I can get back to. The last approach, the final approach, is the vaccine approach. And just so everybody understands, what is a vaccine? You give a killed or attenuated version of the virus to a person. The person mounts what they call an immune response, which is really what they call antibodies that Mm -hmm. fight against the vaccine, and that provides protection against the virus itself. But as you've heard from Tony Fauci, the head of uh, the NIAID, um, he says, you know, those things take a long time. It's going to be one to two years, probably, unless we get really lucky to get a vaccine. So we occupy the spot right in the middle. So between everything that's already out there, trying that, where we have something there, the vaccine approach, which is a year or two away uh, uh, from, from coming, we can actually mimic what the body does um, with the vaccine, we can mimic it in a mouse, believe it or not, because we have these genetically humanized mice that are precise mirrors of the human immune system. We literally can give those viruses uh, to those mice. They mount a fully human response, just like humans would do To the best of all vaccines, we can literally... Even under best of circumstances,
3: that's still, we're going to go through at least a a year, if not 18 months, sir, right?
4: Well, no, for the vaccine, you're going to have to wait one to two years. How about the one that
3: that we can go right now that'll make it so our lungs aren't destroyed by this?
4: Right, no, no, but hold on. Our second approach, before we get back to the lung, which is immediate and it's here and now, we're already clinically testing it. We can do the equivalent of what the vaccine does by using these magic mice. And we're already, we already announced, that was our big announcement yesterday, right, right. that we have essentially the equivalent of what the body responds with the vaccine. We can actually be treating patients with that uh, to test to see if it works uh, by the beginning of the summer. That's incredible. Uh, so that that really could provide protection for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, healthcare workers, people on the front lines, people who are at the highest risk, let's say kids with cystic fibrosis or lung diseases, elderly patients. So that's something that can beat those timelines of a a year or two by a year or two. That's incredible. I mean,
3: so Len did not feel that way. Sir, Len did not feel that way uh, six weeks ago. What changed?
4: Okay, well, of course, this is biology. And uh, biology, it's not like doing coding and writing an app where things are a lot more predictable. Um, Things can go wrong because you're dependent on, you know, things that you don't really understand. But we've been hitting all our timelines, exceeding all our timelines. We really have, you know, it all depends on individuals and genius. Uh, We have a a super um, scientist who is a genius, a guy named Christos Kiratsos, who's been uh, leading this effort. He's the one who led the effort for Ebola. Right, and And succeeded. He and his team, they've been beating all the timelines. And so we've been able to move up our timeline because they're really delivering. And so we went from thinking it was going to be quite a while away to the point that we really believe that by the beginning of the summer, we could be testing that approach in patients. And
3: meantime, in the meantime, a drug that has been approved for another, another use, how is that going? Because that's being used right now, and I, need to, I don't want to create false hope, but boy, do we ever need some hope here, sir.
4: Yeah, no, so, so that's the other thing. In terms of throwing everything under the kitchen sink at this, they really did this in China. That's where it all started. OK, they were, you know, they were hoping to to just hope that anything beyond hope, because so many people were right. affected and dying and they tried a lot of things. And the one thing that everybody started getting excited about was something that blocked this this one particular biologic that blocks inflammation. Right. Uh, and, and they reported it and they were very excited. But this was done in an uncontrolled way, uh, not what we would call a randomized controlled study that we could really trust and believe in. But there was a lot of reason to get excited about it. So we partnered with BARDA, okay. uh, the rapid defense part of the of the government, with the FDA. They really stepped up. With New York State, the governor's office, right. uh, the health commissioner of New York. And we did something that's never been done in record time. We got a study going so that we initiated a New York State right. this week um, where we're going to already be treating patients with this, hopefully seeing, this replicating... Week. Yes, this week, and we're we're going to be hopefully seeing within a few weeks whether this really replicates and confirms the positive suggestions that are coming out of China. And if they are, it means for the most seriously ill patients, um, we may have something that keeps them from having to go on ventilators or be able to maybe take them off ventilators. So there's hope but it has to be proven and that's why everybody got together i'm talking about the government the fda right, right. new york new state because it's new so york, state, hard new york city it. health new
3: york state these guys they're, they're real serious doc you know that so this is not false hope
4: well no i think that there's real hope here because like i said it depends on of course replicating the exciting findings coming out of right, china right. if we can do that and we can do it in controlled fashion that satisfies the fda here this could in a very short time give hope to the most critical people. All right. The next, the next approach about using our, our essentially mouse manufactured vaccine to give a fully human solution to patients. Remember we did that and it worked for Ebola exactly. in the rest of time. So we now, especially as you said, we've updated our timeline since you spoke to Len mm-hmm. a while back we've got an increasing confidence that we can meet it. I mean, things can go wrong, but that is also an exciting approach that within months could be providing a second approach that could be giving hope to patients. So one is the first one, the existing drug being tried in clinical trials. Right right Right. now, starting this week, it it could help the most severe patients. The next approach could actually be given to people and prevent them from getting sick. All right, Doc, we're going to have to leave it there. I know I stay in touch with Glenn.
3: I'll be staying in touch with you. This is way too important. This is everything is on the line. And I thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. That's Dr. George Yankopoulos, Regeneron's co-founder, Chief and the man who is known as having conquered Ebola. Mad Money's back after the break.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.
3: We know we're in a tough spot here, but I got to tell you, someone who spent the last six weeks screaming about the dangers of the pandemic its such a relief to see our leaders finally taking it seriously. I don't just mean the government. I'm also talking about the private sector. For example, this morning, Facebook just blew me away when they announced a sweeping new effort to invest $100 million in 30,000 small businesses across 30 different countries. They're doing what I want the government to do, fronting money to these businesses to tide them over while the world economy is on hiatus. Meanwhile, Facebook's also paying each of its employees a thousand dollar bonus, help them and their families adjust to the new stay at home work world. I love it. I think Facebook's being a model corporate citizen here, and I hope other companies follow in their footsteps, not just that Uncle Sam. And that's why we are thrilled to have Sheryl Sandberg, Facebook's chief operating officer, right here with us tonight to talk about the small business investment program and maybe give the federal government some pointers. Ms. Sandberg, welcome to Mad Money.
6: Thank you. I uh, really appreciate that. And we feel very strongly about businesses stepping up. So thank you for such a kind intro and letting me on your show.
3: Well, let's talk about that. Uh, Small businesses and you uh, have been inseparable since I remember your first conference call. Small businesses have been built on Facebook, built on your Instagram. And they have uh, obviously they're hurting. And I want to know how you decided to invest in them, because I think it makes so much logical sense because you guys have been partners all along.
6: That's right. Look, we're very close to small businesses. 140 million use our platform, you know, platforms all over the world. And we work with them every day. And we heard directly from them that they were in need, very nervous, not able to pay a lot of their employees and worried their doors were shut. So we're working around the clock to help as much as we can. And we came up with this program. We're going to give $100 million in grants, the majority is cash, some ad credits to, you know, 30,000 businesses in 30 countries, but we're also providing virtual training that anyone can use. And we're trying to help businesses pay their employees, but also shift their business online, let customers know what inventory they have left do the things they can do to weather the storm.
3: Sure I've never missed one of your conference calls. You were at your best when you talk about a small business that has really benefited from using you. Maybe you can talk about a small business that you will help right now with this program that I think is very much ahead of what a lot of other companies are doing.
6: Well, I heard from one that I've talked about, I believe, on our earnings calls before just this morning. A man named Dennis runs a company called Holst Connection. 2017, I met him in 2017, but what I love about this business is they're furniture makers in Berlin. So they are old school, old kind of company, right? They're not newfangled tech, but they completely migrated. They're selling online and they've grown really quickly and they've been a great Facebook and Instagram success story. What I heard from him this morning was they're working working furiously so customers can still reach them but they're not getting the help they need from from their you know local government or the banks around them and they were so excited to hear about our program and asked Dennis was asking me how he can apply and that's exactly the kind of assistance we want. Well, to provide. Cheryl,
3: If this works, uh, why stop at 100 million? I mean, you, you're doing great things for your companies, which then will do great things for Facebook, uh, Instagram. It is a virtuous circle. Can it be in even a bigger circle?
6: Well, we're just starting here and we're going to keep trying to respond to the need we see. So we launched our business hub last week, which gives businesses free tools and that way it can reach everyone. We're going to start here. We're going to get these grants out to small businesses. And then this is unprecedented. I don't think anyone knows what's going to happen next. So we are very open to considering doing more in lots of different ways going forward. How
3: do you... uh... Deal with all the companies that you have helped create that want the business right now, that would like a grant. I mean, is there a page they should go to? Is there a committee at Facebook that's going through right now? Like when you were trying to get into college, you're saying (laughs) this one should get it, this one should get it, this one should get it. How are you deciding?
6: Well, we're working through the criteria. We wanted to get the announcement out so people could start the process. Right now, you want to go to Facebook.com slash Grants for Business. And we're going to be collecting emails so that we can send out the criteria and send out the application. We don't have every criteria defined, but here's what we know. We're going to ask people who have been in business for a year to apply. We're going to ask people to tell us what their business does and to tell us how they're going to use the money. And really, we're going to trust them. We're going to trust them to use the money as they can best do it.
3: Now, uh, how fast can you do that? I mean, let's say they they put it in. You like it. Can they get this money within the next month?
6: (laughs) I sure hope so. I mean, we came up this this crisis is unfolding very rapidly. So this is a program we really started working on at the end of last week. We're moving as quickly as we can. And I want us want us to move as quickly as possible. So definitely the goal.
3: Now, uh, you have also $1,000 per employee bonus. I think a lot of people don't want to go home and work, but you've made it so that it's the right thing to do. Uh, Tell me about that program. I think we need to see that for a lot of people because they they don't want to go home. They want to show you that they're working hard.
6: We've really thought about that. So we told everyone to stay home if they were sick. And very importantly, we have been paying every worker we have, every contractor, whether they're sick, whether they can work for home, you know, all the way through, we didn't encourage people to work from home over the last numbers of weeks. But today, as of 3 p.m., we're just shutting every office we can because we want to communicate it's safer to be at home. There are a few critical jobs we need people to come in for, like keeping the data centers running and the service up. And we're taking every precaution we can to protect employees. It's also by everyone else staying home that those people are much more protected. But we really want employees to know we mean it because even when they're home, people don't have childcare, people's schools are closing. So we not just gave every employee a thousand dollars, but I think maybe even more importantly, we announced to our whole company that we're paying out more than everyone's full bonus this half. Okay. Every six months we do a rating scale where we let we give employees performance criteria and a rating, and you get more if you've done better. We're giving everyone an exceeds expectation That's rating, which means everyone gets more than their bonus. And what we're saying to you is if you have a sick parent or sick child, you take care of that sick parent or sick child. Gotcha. If you don't, and then do what you can. And we're seeing our employees take care of themselves and working hard.
3: Uh, One last thing. Uh, There's a major pharmaceutical chain. I don't want to mention their name. They're good guys. One of their people put out disinformation, misinformation about COVID uh, sent to uh, employee's Bad idea. I see that you're cracking down on disinformation. How are you capable of doing that, given when it's so prevalent? I mean, how many people do you have to analyze disinformation? And is this something that is the beginning of a new strategy of Facebook? Or is this just a national emergency and you're throwing everything at it?
6: I think this is an emergency and we're throwing everything at it. And we're definitely taking the hardest possible line on harmful misinformation. We're prioritizing the myths that the WHO and CDC and other health organizations are telling us are the most harmful and those are coming down and they're coming down no matter who says them and we're working as quickly as possible but the other thing we're doing and i think this is just as important is getting good information out there right. we are putting WHO CDC information directly into people's feed the director of the WHO asked us to try to get people to do real hand washing so at his request, my fiance and I yesterday posted a video of ourselves washing our hands for 40 to 60 seconds. Do you know how long that is, Jim?
3: Uh, you know, I know. It's mean, happy birthday four times. Well, let me one this question. Are you learning something yeah. on, on disinformation and misinformation that you can apply to the political season? Or are they just totally separate? Because it is an important issue for me, as you know.
6: Yeah, look, they're not separate when it comes to this emergency. Okay. No matter who says something, if it's harmful mis- misinformation on COVID nineteen, it's down and it's over. Um, and we're going to keep learning throughout the process, throughout the system. I think right now it is all hands on deck right. on what is a really a really global crisis. The one thing I'll mention, Jim, because I do th- want want people to have some hope in such a hard time, is that we're also just seeing amazing things happen on Facebook. There's a doctor in Lombardy, Italy, very hard hit. She on WhatsApp is providing free services to help people she doesn't know who are not her patients get through depression and anxiety. We're seeing nurses get their shifts covered with other people so they can go to work, get their child care shifts covered. We're seeing people sign up to deliver groceries around the world to the elderly. Okay, And so this is really challenging, but there's some good happening. Thank
3: you, Cheryl. Thank you. I mean, we're I'm looking for good news. You gave it to us in spades, uh, including the incredible cash grants right to small business. Going to get it as soon as possible. Government are you listening? This is how it's done. Cheryl Sandberg, CEO of Facebook. Buddy's back after the break. Thank you so much.
6: Thank you for having me.
3: As we come to grips with the coronavirus pandemic, it's become clearer and clearer that many technologies we've talked about for years are absolutely essential to beating this virus. Thanks to social distancing, we've seen incredible demand for video conferencing software, from Zoom video, from Cisco. We saw that today when we spoke to Chuck Robbins and squawk on the street. Even more important, with our hospitals soon to be overwhelmed, doctors are embracing telemedicine. We used to push video conferencing around here with your doctor because it helps hold down the cost of health care. But now it also helps stop COVID-19. Every case that can be diagnosed remotely is one less chance for the virus to spread at your doctor's office or the hospital. And that's why tonight we're going off the tape with Amwell, the telemedicine company formerly known as American Well, that's seen an astounding 27-fold increase in business in the last four days. It, it will only get heavier now that the president said the government's expanding telehealth benefits for Medicare. So let's take a closer look with Roy Schoenberg. He's the president and co-CEO of Amwell. Learn more about how this company is doing and what it's doing to mitigate COVID-19. Mr. Schoenberg, welcome to the money.
7: Thank you for having me, Jim.
3: Okay, so Roy, we first time on the show in private company. Can you tell us uh what you're doing uh in general for healthcare and then specifically draw down to COVID-19?
7: Sure. So, we Amwell produces telehealth technology, which as you described is the ability for patients and physicians to get together through some of these devices as well as browsers and other and other ways. Um, we serve this technology through many of our clients, um, half of them about, about half of them are the health insurance companies, large pairs everybody 's familiar with them United anthem, Cigna, a lot of the blue Cross Blue Shields have telehealth offering for their membership historically to use to, to not use ers and now to avoid the coronavirus right. and then the other half of the business is actually serving the health system side of the world where the providers the clinicians are, and there too it 's you know the usual suspect it 's Intermountain, Cleveland Clinic, Neuro Presbyterian, each and every one of them has a different name for the product that carries their brand that people oh, really trust. Okay. But if you've got kind of to follow the packets, it ends up running from Amwell infrastructure. So
3: how does uh, Amwell make money? And, and are you, I mean, for Corona-19, are you able to even handle the business? The president was talking about how overburdened the telemedicine side is.
7: Yeah, so I think, you know, making money in, in peace days is very different than what's going on right now. I think the, everybody's focus, including ours, is really just to, to support the, the rightful transition of healthcare over technology so that people will get less exposure. Um, we, we serve different clients differently. Uh, health plans are primarily dealing with the mass millions of membership that they have that are very worried about mm-hmm. what they need to do, what are the right symptoms, and so on and so forth. But then we also have a lot of health systems that regularly treat elder patients, elder Americans, and these, you know, these patients don't necessarily need care for coronavirus. They need care for their diabetes right. and heart failure. And if we can allow that care to happen over technology and prevent those patients from showing up in crowded waiting rooms where a lot of bad things can happen, we can save some lives. Well,
3: Roy, let me ask you: uh, before the cell phone, obviously, was everything was very different how we treated healthcare. If we always had the yeah. cell phone, would we ever? really visit the doctor's office which to me is the worst place in the world to be because you can catch a bunch of diseases when you're when you find out that you're actually healthier than you thought
7: yeah the the truth is the truth is that there's a balance i think we need to think about telehealth as another way in which healthcare can take place there are some things about healthcare that can happen very effectively through technology like dealing with with simple medication, simple flu, uh, following up on patients who we already know what the diagnosis is, but they need a lot of hand-holding and everything else, helping patients after surgery to recover at home. There's a lot of stuff that can happen through telehealth, but clearly when it comes down to having an operation, a surgery, blood needs to be drawn, a CT scan needs to be done, um, or God forbid you need to be hospitalized, in those cases you actually do need to go into healthcare but we can divide the load on healthcare much differently in the world where we have this technology. Right.
3: We we had Mark Casper on last night as the phenomenal CEO of Thermo uh, Fisher and they're going to have 5 million He says they're going to have 5 million testing kits next week. How is that going to change the way Amwell helps people who fear they have COVID-19? Yes,
7: yeah, so I think the you know the 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 whole the whole world of testing, you know, has been debated, discussed, you know, that, that's probably you don't need me to talk about that. But the reality is that as more and more people are getting access to those tests, we're going to have a whole new kind of, of worries that people are going to have. Where do I get the test? Should I get the test now? Am I eligible for the test? Am I showing symptoms? Did I cross the line where I need to get the test? And realistically, just to be clear about it, people who are going to get the test, if, they, if there's a consideration that they were exposed, for the most part, we're going to tell them go home and stay quarantined. So now you have a huge population of Americans who are at the edge of their seat. They may have been exposed, they may have taken the test, and we're telling them to stay home. If we're not going to be able to allow them to get in front of healthcare professionals, many of them will actually have to break the quarantine and go to healthcare. So we need telehealth not only to deal with the worried well, we need to also envelope and be there for Americans who are going through the progression of the illness in their home in order to actually, you know, move the needle on this.
3: Well, look, I, I, I wish you were public because we only have one right now. And what you're doing just sounds amazing. A private company. I want to thank you so much, Roy Schoenberg, President Kosio of Amwell. I wish we could own it. It's private. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Jim. Thank everybody's private. back after the break. It is time. It's time for the lighting round. the lightning round. the And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski-daddy. Come time the lightning round. Let's start with George in the Illini. George. Hey, Mr. Jim. I just want to uh, say to you how an uh, excellent interview you had with uh, Secretary Treasurer Mnuchin on Friday. Oh, thank and you. He's doing I, his I best. I like to. Yes, yes. And also, I like your wisdom on a hate uh, love stock, which is Square. Dude. I like Square very much. It helps small, medium-sized business, and that is the group that is going to come out ahead. And the stocks have been cut in half as if they're never going to come out. Oh, come on. Let's go okay. to Ed in Florida. Ed. Yes. Ed, you're up. Hey, Jim. A big, warm, booyah show from beautiful Cocoa Beach, Florida. Man, I wish I were there. How can I, How can I help? How can I help? Hey, man, I just wanted to ask you. I started accumulating AA, and it makes me drink a little bit more right, now. Take a long-term view on that, because it is the best aluminum producer. But remember, we are in recession, and that is not going to turn around. It's the worst stock during in recession. Let's go to Amanda in Connecticut. Amanda. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good, Amanda. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Um,
0: I was wondering what you think about stocking Nucor.
3: It's the best steel company. I don't like to own steel companies as they're going into a recession, but it does yield five and a quarter percent, and therefore I think you're okay. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round.
5: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
3: people are finally grasping the scale of this corona crisis, you need to know that the government's response could determine the fate of our country, not just the market, our country for years to come. Here's the dilemma. We're a service economy. Business in this country thrives on people coming together and congregating. Because the virus is much gentler on young people, they're going to find a way to congregate. And that's incredibly dangerous. COVID-19 might not kill them, but they can still spread it to their older friends, their older families, older co-workers like Typhoid Mary. Now, I keep hearing that we don't have enough data on who gets ill and who dies from this thing. Wrong. we got perfect information. We know exactly what this disease does because it's already swept through China and Europe. We know that if you're 70 or older and you have diabetes or high blood pressure or another pre-existing condition, you're not just at risk, you're at extremely high risk of dying. We know that if our healthcare system is overwhelmed, then doctors have to go into triage mode very bad for the elderly. Right now, Italy has an 8% mortality rate for this thing, and we're currently on the Italian trajectory. However, once you break the numbers down, you discover that of the 25,058 people infected in Italy, no one, no one under the age of 30 has died. From 60 to 69, it's 3.2%. Oh, but from 70 to 79, it's 11.8%. You know what that is? That's a strong case for self-isolation for 70 and up. It's a better way to confront the virus than just social distancing and bans. Hopefully, when we see those numbers, young people... who think they're immortal, maybe they'll behave more responsibly. So what else can we do? We need to recognize that the public health crisis and the economic crisis are two sides of the same coin. First, Europe's about a week and a half ahead of us, and the whole continent's practically on lockdown. I think it might be worth getting ahead of the curve here. We need to weigh the notion of ring-fencing those at risk from their own families if possible. Younger people are going to have to settle in and stop acting out, or going out for that matter. Second, as Americans, we've got to stop going out. But that's, We're going to see tons of layoffs in the oil-important service industry, as I said at the top. It's already started. Right now, so many people are applying for unemployment benefits, and your website keeps crashing. I wasn't kidding last night when I told you the economy is going on hiatus. In some ways, that's worse than a recession. So how do we make it through this hiatus in one piece? Simple. We need Washington to forget everything it's ever learned about fiscal discipline and just throw money at the problem. Something that Secretary Mnuchin understands uh, when, when he says that now is not the time to worry about deficit spending. It's incredibly important that they think not just big, but colossal. Forget just loans. Forget tax credits. Working person isn't going to benefit from a payroll deduction. She's not on the payroll anymore. Forget guarantees. What are they guaranteeing? More debt? Thanks. The government needs to put money directly in the hands of working people who get laid off directly. Earlier today, we heard rumblings of an immediate $1,000 payment to every American. Good start. But that number needs to be much higher. Needs to be, And by the way, it needs to be more than one time only. As long as this goes on, we need to keep feeding. Got to feed the people. We need to throw money at small businesses that are getting hammered now that everybody's staying home. Otherwise, when the coronavirus goes away, well, guess what? The only big national change will be left standing. Treasury Secretary calls it business interruption insurance. I'm calling it total replacement business interruption insurance. If you're worried about people or companies gaming the system, don't be. All this information is available. You can get it from the IRS or maybe Intuit and Square. We need to do this pronto. Critics will say that's giving people handouts, discourages them from working. And, and, And they're right. But you know what? We want to discourage people from working, at least for now, that's the best way to stop the virus. Unlike 2008, where a lot of people arguably contributed to the housing bubble, there's no one to blame here. The government needs to treat working people like down-and-out family members who did nothing to deserve this. You don't stop at 1000 bucks for a family member. Third, while the government bails out workers and small businesses, we should be more opp- opportunistic About helping big business. Don't give the airlines loans. Invest in them. The industry's going to bounce back when the pandemic's over and the government's going to turn a huge profit. Same with every other publicly traded travel and leisure company that needs a bailout to stay alive and keep people on the payroll. If they want that money, they need to sell us equity. I do the same thing with Boeing. What a great long term investment for the U.S. government. You can sell it when the thing gets back on its feet. Any hotel company that keeps its employees similar. Most importantly, we need to approach this with the speed and effort of the Manhattan Project. We take these steps, bet our country can bounce right back after we get, under the, get the virus under control. And if we don't, well, then the future does look real ugly for a long time. But it doesn't have to be that way. Stick with Kramer. OK, Regeneron, let's go over that again. They've got a vaccine. It's going to start much earlier than we thought. And they've got this Kevzara, okay, that's an ongoing clinical program that could actually help people's lungs right now who are very, very sick. In many ways, I think that's more important than anything because we've got to get people out of the hospital so sadly we can get the new people in the hospital. I think Treasury's woken up. I think Fed's woken up. Actually, I think that Secretary Mnuchin is the person that we have to count on right now to not just do $1.2 trillion. But as much as it takes, I like to say, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer. I'll see you tomorrow. Our special Markets in Turmoil
0: starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.